Yo, okay, before this episode even starts, I just want to give a big shout out once again to DSR for coming on to the pod, giving us a long, lifting interview, a lot of information, a lot of insight. You guys going to really enjoy it, I promise. You guys going to really enjoy it. Also, I'm going to leave some links at the bottom of the description so for you guys to check out. Um, you'll see why in the interview. I'm going to have those links at the bottom of the description. You guys check those out. Um, and you guys enjoy the rest of the episode. Without further ado, Let's go. All right, everybody. So as I already uh, told you guys, I told you guys that I'm bringing on more guests throughout the time, to, uh, since, especially since NFL season's over. NFL season's over, and we're going into college basketball. March Madness around the corner. Uh, NBA, obviously. And uh, a guy that knows both, he knows a lot about both and has played in both. Um, I got my guy, Devontae Smith-Rivera. One of the best Georgetown players um, to ever play for Georgetown, period. <laughs> Hell yeah. Hell. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you, yeah. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah, I appreciate you having me, man, for sure. Yeah, no problem. Um, and 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 and, and you know, where's my manners? First, let's just get this. This let's just give this man some pleasantries. Let's, I mean, three-time All Big East, uh, Big East All Freshman, top five in career points at Georgetown, all-time leader in three-point three-pointers made at Georgetown. Um, so you guys are so he's legit. <laughs> Needless to say, he's legit, and um. So and and just first off, before we get into like all the other stuff, um, like you know the 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 NBA talking LeBron and all that good stuff, uh, just tell us like your journey and like your love for basketball. When did that all start? And your journey into like the player that you you know that you were and became, like just tell us all about that. Uh yeah man, I I um shoot growing up I wasn't you know too crazy like in the basketball I'll be honest like I started probably roughly around like seven or eight um one of my best friends and still my best friend to this day um you know his dad has seen me play in a little you know league at our, one of our elementary schools and uh he was just like man you know this dude's big you know what I mean like so he wanted to get me involved with the, the AAU team at the time which you know ironically it was called the Indy Hoyas and then I eventually end up becoming the Hoya in real life so <laughs> right. you know it's kind of crazy how uh, you know life it comes full circle so um that was kind of the start of that um I would say like you know I played throughout I played a lot of AAU and stuff growing up um and then when I got in middle school I would say like sixth or seventh grade I started to realize, you know, kind of like who I was becoming. And, you know, I really didn't understand it at first, but, you know, I started to see that I was able to do certain things. And, mm. um, you know, I was continuing to grow. Uh, I started to be able to dunk a little bit. I, could, I started to be able to shoot a little bit more. And, and I love the game so much. You know, I learned a lot growing up. I know a lot of, you know, young guys now, they don't watch it as much. But, you know, that was all I pretty much had, you know. So, um, you know, I watched a lot of guys growing up. Uh, I was a big, you know, obviously big on like LeBron in like 03. Um, AI, who's a Georgetown guy. Mm -hmm. um, I like Gilbert Arenas. Jalen Rose was my favorite player. Shaquille O'Neal was one of my favorite players too. And I played, you know, for the most part, I played 
center power forward position. I was big, you know, as a kid, and they try to stick you under the basket. Right. Which, <laughs> you know, my, my parents were not a fan of that at all. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, it, I think it taught me to, um, you know, be more aggressive uh, as far as like my awareness on the court, how mm-hmm. to defend better, uh, how to rebound. Um, just, you know, so then when I do get rebounds, I'm able to push the ball. I'm able to do, you know, other things without necessarily having it dictated by other teammates and stuff like that. So I think that started to develop my, um, you know, how to make my game, I guess, a little bit more rounded. And so when I got into high school, uh, you know, I never really trained like that either. I started training really late. I would say some my sophomore year, but really my junior year was when I was like, yo, you know, if you're going to be serious, then you really need to, you know, get with somebody who understands the game. Um so I started to train a little bit more on my game. Uh, at the time, it was Ed Schilling. I would say it was, you know, one of my primary trainers who was the assistant at UCLA. Okay. Um, and, you know, he's a great guy. Uh, loved him as a, as a coach. Loved him as a, a trainer. Um, taught me a lot. I would say Chris Thomas, who was who was also, uh, he, he's with Nike now, but he trained with, like, Gary Harris and a lot of those guys that, um, you know, I grew up competing against as well. So, um, you know, I learned from some pretty – pretty solid guys um as far as like my recruiting process i mean that was crazy too man i got a lot of i had a lot of offers early i mean okay. literally coming out of eighth grade um you know i had three offers probably before i ever really touched the high school basketball um i would say tennessee at that time who had bruce pearl mm. um indiana who had uh who was that ralph sampson and then it became tom cream right um Purdue and Purdue, those were the, the three schools that offered me before, you know, before I really, I guess, kind of became, you know, somebody. So, uh, but I ended up going to Georgetown. Um, I was committed to Xavier twice, which is part of the journey as well, which a lot of people know that. And, uh, you know, that was, that was pretty rough for me too, because I, you know, I, I love Xavier to death. I love the coaching staff, Chris Mack, Travis Steele. Um, but you know, Georgetown eventually, uh, prevailed, you know, just in that situation. Um, I think my family was just a little bit more lenient on like the education and, right. um, you know, having that type of access and that type of network, you know, behind me. So, uh, yeah, man, it all, it all worked out how it was supposed to. And then, you know, obviously college was a great run. Um, professional career was great, you know, enjoyed, um, being, you know, being a professional and training and, you know, learning the game more and, and, and yeah, man, it's great. So, yeah. And you talked about, so you, you gave us the rundown and you talk about, you start, you kind of a late bloomer, sort of like a late bloomer, mm-hmm. didn't really take it serious, but you realize your potential. So you went to a high school powerhouse. <laughs> you went to a high school powerhouse in Oak Hill. And you guys had a 40, 40, 44 and 0 season, was it? Yeah, 44 and 0. Yeah. 44 and 0 season. And we, as we, if you if you guys don't know, Oak Hill has produced a lot of great NBA players, a lot of great players just in general, but a lot of yeah. NBA guys. And yeah. just so just tell me about that experience. How did that help you as a basketball player? How did that help you as far as like playing in the Big East and going to Georgetown? Yeah. Uh, well, I would say, honestly, man, I would say even before that, like, you know, when I say when I say all those things, um, as far as like, you know, my road to becoming who I was, mm-hmm. ironically, bro, I was I was ranked a top 10 player <laughs> all through middle school, all through like when I went into high school, all that stuff. Right. So like 
it's, I mean, you know, when I say late bloomer, I think that's more like my approach as a late bloomer, as if as if I wasn't aware of those things. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. I okay. Wasn't serious, but I was I was also still one of the top players in the country. You know, and, and a lot of there's a lot of my peers who you know at that time they play they play you know they in the NBA most of them now still you know doing their thing, but you know at that time a lot of us were like you know transforming, and I and that's like I said at that time that my mentality started to to change when I started to see other guys getting better too. And I was getting better. I'm like, yo, like, you know, I kind of belong in this space. You know what I mean? So, right. um, but to answer your question, as far as O'Kill, I think O'Kill just presented, uh, more challenges. Um, I think Indiana, Indiana is a great state of basketball, mm. but you know, from my perspective and I, you know, I say it humbly, you know, I started to get to the point where it was so routine and I felt like I was far further ahead of the competition. Um, although, you know, my class alone, we have five, you know, NBA guys um, that are, you know, still in the NBA, some that are playing overseas or whatever. But, you know, that says a lot. And then the class ahead of us has five guys that went to the NBA as well. So, you know, and that's not even including the, the couple of classes of younger guys that came after us, the Trey Lyles. Romeo Langford's, mm. the, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Those type of guys. So, um, you know, around that time, we had Marcus Teague, uh, Brandon Dawson, Cody Zeller, and uh, our class, RJ Hunter, Glenn Robinson, yep. Gary Harris, uh, you know, and myself, obviously. So, you know, I, I won't, I won't, you know, take those times for granted. I just think that, you know, basketball at that point was just very, very tough in Indiana, but, you know, we might have lost my school, you know, at that point. I think we only lost maybe six or seven games in three years. So mm-hmm. we kind of, you know, we dominated to, to some extent um, and became state champions. We always went to, you know, semi-state and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, some things, you know, I didn't really, I wasn't really comfortable with. You know, I always kind of uh, adjusted myself or adjusted my game based on, you know, some of my teammates and the coach and, you know, just had a lot of, little different things that, you know, I, I wasn't really comfortable with. And they, you know, they were uh, things off the court and things, you know, with our team. But I'm still grateful for that time because I think it taught me to, you know, mature a little bit earlier. Um, as far as Oak Hill, one of the greatest, you know, choices I, I could have ever made. Uh, I think that team was just very um, cohesive. We were very uh, like-minded. Mm. We shared the ball really well. Um and, you know, somebody that plays kind of like, you know, how I played at that time, uh, you know, Tyler Lewis, Jordan Adams, Damian Wilson, A.J. Hammonds, Jordan Tebbit. Uh, I mean, we just we just had a we just had a squad, man. Ike Arebu, who plays in the NBA, who played in the NBA as well. And he was a like our 10th guy. You know what I'm saying? Right. So that that speaks volumes to, you know, the type of talent that we had. And, um, you know, I love those guys to this day. I talk to them all the time. Darian Clark, who was our uh, four man, he's a tight end in the NFL now. He plays, you know, for the Chicago Bears. So, mm-hmm. you know, that tells you the type of raw, you know, athletes <laughs> that we had. Um, and, of course, the travel, you know what I'm saying? I love being on the road. I love, you know, having that lifestyle and being able to, you know, wear that Jordan brand, you know, which, you know, is, is, is one of them guys, you know yeah. what I mean? So it was, it was, it was, yeah, it was just, it was just a great experience, man. It was a great experience and I'm grateful for it. And again, man, winning the national championship was, was the, you know, the, the telltale of that. Right. And I like, you know, we would talk about these power, like big time powerhouse 
high schools, I often think about Oak Hill. I think about Oak Hill because, I mean, they like you said, it, and you, like your team, and not just your team, but teams prior, teams after, are so deep and full of talent. And you look back, and you look back five years, seven years, ten years from now, you're like, that one in the NFL, that one was a great Georgetown player. This one, this one is an NBA All Star. It, it it just shows you how deep those rosters are. Um, so you cho- you talked about Georgetown and Xavier. You comp- you you said you committed to Xavier two times, but you chose ultimately Georgetown. Obviously, what made you choose Georgetown? Like you and you mentioned it already, like the your parents on the education part. Obviously, we all know how. Georgetown, how they, how they roll, but like, what made you choose? Um, you know, you know, I always, I always like to get my honest answer. I never Georgetown was not even in my top five. I'll mm. be honest, and, and this is initial. This is off the initial of um, you know the recruiting process started to pick up for me after my sophomore year, like like really heavy. I mean, I had a lot of offers early. But a lot of them were like the Big Ten schools because I'm in the you know I live in the Midwest and uh-huh. stuff like that. But I started to get you know other Power Five schools. You know, just the better I got, like I said throughout high school, um, I committed to Xavier. You know, based on trust. You know, based on our relationship. Travis Steele was at IU at first, and I'm a Hoosier. You know, at heart. <laughs> um, you know, so we kind of had a relationship already, and he kind of you know he kind of got that firsthand. Um, but as far as my decision. You know, in going to Georgetown, I've all my game. You know, the way that I play, and you, you know, you've seen me play a million times. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very uh, tangible. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not, I'm not a player that you like have to. Have, you know, you need me to play a certain type of way, or I can only play a certain type of way. You know, I feel like in any system, I can be productive. So, you know, at that point. I was kind of betting on myself and I was trusting my abilities to carry me through, you know, a situation where, um, like I said, Georgetown wasn't a school that I, you know, from a basketball standpoint that I was very high on. Now, you mm. know, now that I have been a part of the culture and, you know, I learned more about it as I was becoming a, a Hoya myself, um, I started to appreciate it more. Mm. But, you know, at that time I wasn't, um, you know, I wasn't really, um, you know, committed to Georgetown. Like I like Georgetown, but I wasn't, you know, crazy over Georgetown like that. But it was, it was more of a family decision. And again, you know, you consider the educational standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, my high school is also a great, you know, educational school at North Central High School, which you know, Eric Gordon has come through there. Uh, Jason Gardner mm-hmm. has come through there. You know, we've had a lot of great, great talents and you know, great athletes who have gone on to obviously play the NBA and do some great things. So. Uh, you know that was kind of our standard, and and, and what we what do we want to do? Right, and mm-hmm. you know you talked about Georgetown history and so forth. Um, and I'm gonna get to John Thompson, but um, but I must say, you so can you just talk? Can because I got a lot of young listeners. I got a lot of young listeners around the you know around the ages, and you know they're teenagers and so forth in high school. And can you just tell them? The maturation process of becoming a great basketball player, uh, developing your skills, trusting in your skills. And, like, can you just walk through that process? Yeah, so, uh, so uh, I mean, basketball, you know, basketball in general is a, um, 
you know, it's a learning curve. Right. Like, you know, there's there's different chapters, there's different stages, there's different, um, you know, things that you have to really um, know, you know what I'm saying? Like for me, so like, for example, you know, I was talking to one of my good friends uh, the other day about like the evolution of like training now, you know what I'm saying? Like a lot of these kids training their games from so early yes. that like, you know, you would expect a lot of them to really know how to play the game, you know, by the time they get to high school, by the time they get to a certain point. But, you know, I would say that the right person teaching you the right things can help you get to that point. If you're not learning from somebody who really understands what to do or what to teach you or what to show you and stuff like that, it can really hinder your game. Um, so, you know, you always want to you always want to know, and not everybody has those, you know, resources and stuff like that. But at the same time, social media plays a big part in that. So now, you know, you're able to access workouts. You're able to access mm -hmm. things to do when you don't have someone who's literally on top of you. You know what I'm saying? When, whereas, like, when I was coming up, um, the game taught me. You know, I, my, my parents couldn't afford a trainer and stuff like that. So... I was obsessed with watching the game of basketball. So I had to learn from certain like specific people in order to be good and in order for me to like get better. So what I did was follow the format of certain players that I thought I had the mode of that game. And then I started to train on that stuff. I started to work on that stuff. I go in the gym, I do it over and over and over again without somebody rebounding for me, without somebody telling me what steps to take and all this stuff, you know, and eventually I started to catch on to it, you know, and then I started getting, you know, a little bit deeper into the game as far as like the details of it because, you know, training always seemed harder to me than actually playing the game. Right. You know, and it should, and it should be, you sh it should be because you work on something so much, you know, it's like right doing the same thing over and over again. You get tired of it, but at the same time, the, um, you know, the bigger picture in the grand scheme of that is that it makes the game easier for you. So, you know, one thing that I would tell anybody and everybody is that you really have to work on your craft in order for it to, you know, work in your favor. You know, I mean, there's millions of kids who want to be good at basketball. There's millions of kids who want to um, be the best, you know, to ever do it. But, you know, what's going to make you so much better than somebody? There's another athlete. There's another great shooter. There's another tall kid. There's another, you know, person may not be exactly you but they have similarities or they have things that they could do you know that you may not acquire whether it's god-given abilities whether it's you know something that uh, actual skill you know something like that so um yeah man you gotta the game you it's like a relationship if you love it if you love it you know you'll give it everything you got if you don't then it probably won't work out for you right <laughs> that's a good yeah. way to put it so mm -hmm. you um your freshman year at georgetown you were like I said, you made all you made all biggies, all conference freshman team. So you were impactful automatically day one in your first year at Georgetown. A very stacked Georgetown team. I think like Otto Porter. Uh, and I think that was a team that won the Big East. So explain how which I thought we, oh. we should have which I thought I should have won that for sure the end of the year. <laughs> oh. but they gave it to they gave it to Jakar Samson and they I don't even I don't know if they even made the tournament that year but <laughs> it's, it was it was a it was a numbers game for them at that point. <laughs> you know, I got yeah, you. No, I got you. Um <laughs> that's funny. No, I got I got you though. But you went from um Impactful player your first year and, you know, won the Big East. You guys experienced some tournament success, a little bit of tournament success and so forth. Now, 
your second your second year and on, you were the guy. You were basically the man. Uh, you were basically the man. So explain who helped you to get to that process or throughout that process of that transition of, you know, being a young guy trying to learn, learn the system into a guy who's a veteran. Uh, I, I'm I'm going to be the guy that's controlling the, the pace of the game and have the ball in my hands at crucial points. Yeah. Uh, I would say, I would say I was always prepared for it. Um, men, I would say mentally, I was, I was always prepared for it. Um, I think who helped me, you know, pre- like in preparation for those moments, meaning mm-hmm. like uh, working on my game, you know, I think, um, uh, Kevin Sutton, he came over from Montverde, uh, who, you know, he, he, we already had a great relationship. He was actually, uh, on the cusp of having me go to Montverde instead of going to Oak Hill <laughs> oh, okay. when I was in high school, just because again, we, you know, we had a great relationship. He had been to a lot of my AAU circuit games and mm. stuff like that. And I think at the time they had like D'Angelo Russell and Ben Simmons yep. and Casey Hill and Dakari Johnson and. You know, they had a, they just had a great group and and I was, you know, I was bought in, you know what I mean? I really loved that team and dynamic that he had already, Um, you know, but, you know, we we ended up going to Oak Hill or whatever, but he's one of those guys that really trusted my abilities. Um, He gave me, he sharpened my tools by giving me routine. Um, I think, you know, for me, like I said, I learned on the fly. So a lot of the things I worked on was on the fly. Um, but you know, he kind of gave me like that professional routine. So something that I could do every day that I could get into to help me prepare for practice and prepare for games. So, you know, when I would ever get in a situation, I would never not know what to do. Um, I would say another person that helped me with that too, which he wasn't a part of the Georgetown staff, but, uh, Pat the Rock. Uh, Pat the Rock is a guy who, you know, a lot of people know him from the tricks and the, you know, the crazy stuff that he can do as far as his ball handling skills. But he's also somebody who's very intelligent, you know, based on like his his uh, understanding of the game. And, you know, I, I could really rely on him a lot of the time to come into the gym at 6 a.m., whereas like, you know, every staff member may not be available at 6 a.m. I'm not saying, you know, that they never could or right. anything like that, but he was the guy who you know, religiously at 6 a.m., religiously at 5 a.m., religiously at midnight, if I needed, you know, if I was just up, I would get in the gym. He would always make that trip. He would always make that move, you know what I'm saying? And we would get it done, you know what I'm saying? And and for those uh, moments, you know, I got to give them credit in helping me, you know, work on my approach to that stuff and helping me fine-tune my skills. Okay, cool. And like I said, you, you, you know, you were coached by Little John. John Thompson, JT3, John Thompson the third. But I'm sure you had, I'm sure, you know, I don't know, throughout your recruitment process and throughout your playing career, we all know about the late, great John Thompson who passed this past year in 2020. What, what like, what's your favorite moment or what's something that stands out to you? Um, It can, it could be something that he said to you. It can be, it can, it, it what stood out about you? What stood out about John Thompson to to you? Uh, meaning the father, Big John. Big John, yes. Yeah. Um, hmm. <clears throat> That's tough, man. Um, 
I would just say that, you know, he, he reminded me a lot of like, uh, I would say the love of like how my family is too. Like, mm. you know, my mom, my mom is a tough love type of person. Uh, she always has, um, he's one of those people that if you, if you misinterpret what he's saying by listening to how he says it, <laughs> you'll think that he's, um, he doesn't have your best interests at heart. If you listen to what he's saying and, uh, and comprehend what he's trying to say to you, you'll realize that what he's saying, it all pertains to the benefit of your, your game or your best, you know, best case scenario. And it could always help your situation. Um, and he would always tell me that he loves me, you know what I'm saying? After the fact. So to me, you know, I never, I, I feel like a lot of people have this perception of him as like some big, bad, you know, big, bad wolf or something. And, you know, for me, I, I, I never, I never got that. You know what I'm saying? I never felt that. I never thought that. Um, and unfortunately, you know, I wish I played for him. You know what I mean? Because again, he can re he can reach me. You know what I'm saying? Like right. in a way that was a little bit more of a um a push, you know what I'm saying? Whereas like I play for JT three yep. and there's nothing wrong with JT three. He mm -hmm. just is more of a uh, passive aggressive type of person. And you know, a lot of people don't respond to that the same that the same way they would with somebody who is enforceful. Yeah. You know, sometimes <laughs> you need enforcement to really get you to understand how important something is, you know what I mean? And um I would say he he always told me that I was much better than what he saw at the moment. And uh, you know, for that I'm I'm grateful because, you know, I kinda carry some of those lessons on and that confidence within everything that I do now. Um, I trust, I started to trust myself more, you know, as a man, you know, in making decisions, um, from having conversations with him, it used to slip me. Like when I would walk out of the gym, sometimes after practice, he would just always give me these notes and stuff. And, mm. um, you know, they would have different stuff on it. You know, some of them would just tell me to keep, to just practice. And like, when you practice, like make, you know, have intention with what you're trying to learn today and practice, um, you know, and just just different things, man. Just different things. You know, being being a leader and, and and just qualities that I feel like you know really you could carry them over into any part of your life, really, man. Okay, cool. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna take this quick break right here, and then um I get you back on. Hey y'all, what do, I mean? Okay, you want some new sportswear? You want some new sports apparel? You want to rep your favorite team? What are you waiting for? Go over to the Forty Seven brand. They have up to a thirty percent sale right now up to a 30 percent sale right now at the 47 brand they have your favorite teams it don't matter what sport what league it can be college football it can be nba nfl mlb um nhl it does not matter the 47 brand has it go over there rep your favorite team don't miss out on that sale the 47 brand and okay so you mentioned big john um and you talk about the impact that he had on your life and so forth. What so? And you mentioned a little bit about JT three. Give me a little something about JT three where it, it may differ from like something that was different about JT three from Big John. Uh, you said something different. Yeah, something. Uh, Big John and JT three. Yeah, like how? Like how did JT three? Uh, impact you differently than like big john did yeah i would say um 
That's a great question. I would say John Thompson III, uh, my coach, you know, really thought uh, – I, I feel like he brought out the um, strategic part of my game, yeah. uh, you know, really being somebody who can think the game and really see things kind of before – uh, they would happen. I mean, obviously, you know, we played in the Princeton offense, mm-hmm. uh, which to me was uh, very methodical uh, compared to, you know, how I would play if I wasn't, you know, if I didn't have so much structure, um, which is a good thing. But, you know, at times, like I said, I felt like it auto- it also kind of hindered, like, my abilities, you know, and what I could show that I could really do. Um, I think that's why a lot of people probably looked at that situation and was like, yeah, why doesn't he just do that every time? <laughs> you know, we had a lot of structure. You know, we had a lot of things that were, like, really tight and you never wanted to kind of get outside of that box. Whereas, like, you look at John Tom, Big John, you know, and like I said, this is no, you know, uh, pros or cons or anything yeah, like no. that. It's just comparing, you know, comparing the two. Right. Um, you know, Big John, every guy that's went to the NBA for him, just, you know, if you watch them play it all, all of their main guys were clearly the guys and they always were the ones making a lot of the plays for them when, you know, whenever, yeah. you know, it, they kind of could play within themselves. Um, and I think, again, I think that comes from trust. You know, I think that comes from, um, you know, for one, also seeing those guys, you know, when I said uh, Georgetown, you know, Georgetown recruited me in high school, but, you know, Again, you know, respectfully, John Thompson III never really came to see me play basketball. Like, he never came to, like, my high school games or, like, AAU games and stuff like that. So, you know, he might not have really been aware of what I could do until I got there. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, those are, those are totally different perspectives, whereas, you know, Big John, like I said, as soon as I got there from day one, he was just like, you know, I don't think there's nobody that can really guard you. So, uh, you know, I don't understand why you would pass the ball so much. And, you know, that <laughs> that type of energy, you know what I'm saying, gives a place, gives a, a player, you know, the ultimate confidence in their abilities, whereas, like, it was kind of like in reverse, you know, from the other side of it, whereas my other, you know, my actual coach is kind of like, you know, let's be more conservative, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Let's not turn it over. Let's not take risks. Let's not, you know, do certain things like that. So, um, I, yeah, it was just, it was just kind of like, a, it, you know, it was a tough situation because I feel like I was, you know, informed by two different styles of coaching and mm-hmm. two different styles of, uh, you know, approach, you know what I mean? So uh, it was very, it was very interesting. You know, I love them both though, but, you know, very, very interesting. Yeah. And then like yeah, like you said, there's no pros and cons to the situation, like with with both coaching styles, both coaching styles, you know, it, it they both can benefit a player. Now, throughout the Big East, um, and you, you know, your Georgetown really got you guys were really competitive, got to the tournament a couple times, um, throughout your tender there. Who was like individually as a player, who was your toughest matchup? Uh, of Georgetown players, you say? Um, no, just players around the country that you might have played, or somebody oh, in the Big man, East. That we played against. Uh, hmm. Hmm. Players that we played against. I, I, w- I would say, uh, from a from a personal, you know, from a personal matchup, you know, if it's just if I'm saying somebody that I matched up with, I would say the top two or three guys would have to be uh, Russ Smith from Louisville mm. when they won a national championship my mm-hmm. freshman year. Uh, I would say Chris Dunn 
by his junior year, he was probably the best guard in the country. Um, I would say Michael Carter Williams too was one of them, which was when I was a freshman as well. He, uh, you know, six 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 seven, um, long. He was he was probably the best defender in the country uh, at that time. Um, could score, could could facilitate. Uh, you know, in Syracuse, I always played that zone. So you know, <laughs> I'm not saying literally, literally, he was the best one on one defender. I'm saying that within that system, he was a hell of a defender. Like he got a lot of steals, created a lot of havoc for people, and you know, forced a lot of turnovers and things like that. And you know, he 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 was elite, man. He was elite. Uh, but I would say those three, as far as like matchups, because those are all guards. But as far as like just players. Meaning, like, including bigs, obviously, and including wings and stuff like that. I would say Doug McDermott was crazy, man. <laughs> Doug McDermott, like, man, he yeah. would put on some shows, bro. Like, he could shoot, man. He could shoot. I, I remember watching him, you know, he would play against, like, Villanova and stuff. And Villanova, you know, had got hot around that time, too. And, yep. I mean, he was hanging, like, 45 on them, man. And I'm like, damn, like, that's that's... That's impressive. That's impressive. Like to do that to a top, you know, five team in the country. And then, um, man, it was a lot of guys, bro. We played it. We played against, you know, Duke with, when they had a uh, 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 Brandon Ingram and they had Grayson Allen. I think was there still. You know, those those guys weren't, you know, quite the talent of the players that I'm mentioning now. You know, I thought Brandon Ingram was nice, but he wasn't physically mature yet. You know, yeah. just you can see his potential and stuff like that. Right. Um, but, you know, that Duke team was pretty good. They had Emil Jefferson, who's my dog for real. You know, he, he um, you know, he's doing his thing. He's been in the league for some years now, too, which mm-hmm. I'm happy for him for that. Um, but, yeah, man, yeah, it's always been tough. Josh Hart at Villanova. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, there's been a lot of guys, man. Really yeah. Uh, you mentioned some, um, some, some big-time names there. Uh, and Doug and Doug McDermott was, was crazy. He's ridiculous. <laughs> he was ridiculous at Creighton. You say and you say all those names. And in college, he is to me by far the best player of all those players that I mentioned in college. You know, as far as his resume and mm-hmm. you know things that he accomplished and stuff like that. Yeah, his his resume is second to none for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, and I, I just want to get a reach on this too because I mentioned. You the all-time leading, you the all-time leader in three-pointers made at Georgetown. And you not it's not like you weren't too far away and removed from this type of basketball now, but could you imagine yourself in in college today where the the way how the game is played, the floor is spread out, a lot a lot more three-pointers are put up. What like can you just, I mean, like I said, you're not, you weren't too far removed. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you were born a little bit later, you would have been like, you would have been mm-hmm. perfect. You're, yeah, yeah. That's the game, man. That's the game. Evolution, bro. Evolution. I'm a firm believer in that for sure. Evolution. It's just, you know, timing is everything. Um, mm-hmm. Now, you know, guys can shoot transition threes. They might not be the greatest shooter, but, you know, they shoot transition threes for, you know, just cause now, you know, and, yeah. and, and I think it's pretty cool, you know, to see the game transition, how it has. Um, I would say also, you know, Pat Ewing is the coach at, you know, at Georgetown now. Mm-hmm. So that does play a big part of it because, you know, he was a 15 year assistant in the NBA. Mm-hmm. He comes back to, you know, help out college guys and stuff like that. Like 
you know, I look at Georgetown now and I'm just like, you know, I might have been the all-time leading scorer and the all-time <laughs> three-pointers made and the all-time, you know what I'm saying? Right. Just based on, like, opportunity, based on spacing, based on, you know, just a lot of different variables um, that come into account for that, you know what I mean? But again, that's just, like you said, it's just timing, you know. It wasn't, it wasn't my time for, for me to be, you know, in this space, so. Yeah, I feel you. Um, and we're talking about college basketball, and I, I I don't know how to I always kind of flip flop between this I'm I'm somewhat just always in between so these college at collegiate well more so college basketball players we all know about the one and done and the one and done it ain't nothing new um what's your take on the one and done should dudes be able to come out of high school and just automatically go to the league do you like the G League? Like, just give me your feel on that. Like, how you feel about I mean, that? I, think, I mean, I think, I mean, I think you should have the option to go straight to the league out of high school. If you know, if if I if I think you're obviously you have to be a certain you know a certain caliber of player. Yeah. You know, what I mean, like yeah. I, I don't want people to take that and think <laughs> like, oh, I'm ready. When it's guys that you know, clearly you're not ready. You know what I'm saying? But I would say like in recent years, a Zion Williamson, okay, and you know, coming up is going to be Monty Bates, and you know. Uh, Jalen Green last year mm-hmm. and uh, the other guy that he plays with, I can't, Jonathan Kamoga. K- yeah, like com- yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, those guys I thought were ready. You know what I mean? So why, you know, it, did, it just didn't make sense for him to have to go to the G League instead of just going to, you know, an NBA team and, and learning, you know. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, I think everybody's process is different. I don't think you should have to go through college. Um, one thing I will say about that is, you know, for a guy like myself who goes to college, you know, we don't get paid for, you know, playing and all that stuff and, you know, trying to represent those universities the best that we can. Like, you know, somebody like me, I would be, you know, disinterested in, you know, attending a university if I knew that they weren't reciprocating, taking care of like my family, how, you know, how I'm giving myself to an institution, you know what I'm saying? And I think that should be something that is compensated for, you know, no matter what the circumstance is. Um, But, you know, I think it will start to get to that point because I think the pressure is starting to come. Last year, the the top five or six guys all went to the G League, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So mm-hmm. if that's going to be the case, I think now it puts the pressure on the NCAA to make some type of adjustments. Um, so, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how it pans out. Yeah, it, it just seems – and you and that's – and like, like you said, the top – anytime the top five high school players, the top 5% are choosing mm-hmm. to go a different path other than college basketball – it kind it watered down. It, it, I mean, it's a lot of great talent in college basketball, no doubt about it. Yeah. But it yeah. watered down. It waters down college basketball, and I always have been a big fan of college basketball. I always have liked it. Um, grew up watching it, and I still do watch it. But a year like this, where I'm looking at the tournament or the tournament, and looking at the projected seeds, and I, if you were if you were somebody from t- 2010, and I. And I put you in 2021, and I say, look at the landscape of 20 of college basketball. No Duke, no North Carolina, no Kentucky, Kansas yeah. not gonna win the Big 12. Yeah. When last yeah. time we? When last time you haven't seen Kansas win the Big 12? So yeah. I think so. The blue bloods aren't looking like blue bloods. So mm-hmm. I, I think college basketball, and it's turned into. I just want to see it in March. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. So I, I, uh, I mean, I completely agree with you. And you know, I, I saw Kentucky play for the first time not too long ago, and I just was kind of like, yeah, I was. I, I won't. I won't say disappointed, but I was kind of like in shock of like. Hold preparation up. for the season it showed um that that time is is needed you know what i'm saying because yes. they never uh, i don't think they ever really gained chemistry they never really gained any type of like weight room you know experience they never gained any type of camaraderie to where you know they actually learn each other and can actually build some momentum you know in the direction that they want to go because you know calipari is a guy who you know, he's been there, done that. He's produced the best of the best. Yep. He's won with, you know, he's won with the system that he's ran for so long. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, for me, like I said, it's, yeah, it is interesting, you know, and I think Duke is going through that kind of same scenario. They weren't able to go through their routine. You know what I mean? And like I said, routine is very important. And, uh, you know, I mentioned that with one of our assistant coaches, uh, Kevin Sutton, who, who taught kind of taught me how to be a pro, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And that, like I said, is very important because you don't know, you think you know how to do so many things when you come out of high school, but like there's a certain type of approach you have to have, although you are skilled in God given ability, you know what I mean? Right. So, um, yeah, this year I think, you know, is, is very interesting. I think, you know, if, if you look back in like 2010, um, you know, guys like Brandon Jennings kind of started that trend. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like when you say guys who said, no, nah, I'm just going to go overseas. You know, we look at uh, LaMelo Ball and say, like, you know, he was the first or his, you, you know, his situation was unique and all that stuff. Yeah, it was. But to me, Brandon Jennings was one of the first guys to do that because Brandon Jennings went from, uh, you know, he's from, he's from, from Cali, but he goes to Oak Hill. Then right. he goes overseas. Then he goes top 10 pick in the draft. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's there's not to say that, you know, and I'm not saying that LaMelo Ball is like, you know, his route wasn't unique, but I'm saying that there's guys who have also, you know, taken those type of turns right. and just kind of like, you know, you knew that they was going to be destined for the NBA regardless, you know what I mean? And I think now it's just more of a media around it and they cover it. So now you can see, you know, what's really going on. And for college basketball to miss somebody like LaMelo Ball, you know what does that say you know what I mean what does that say yeah just it, because you know and I think I think honestly because the kid was just too big of a market himself he he was a he was a brand before you know he would ever touch campus so um, you know I think his dad did the right thing as far as like you know teaching him to be a pro early you know creating a fan base around him building yep. a brand around him you mm -hmm. know if you wanted to throw the if you wanted to throw the big baller brand on him you know that's the one i would have bet on I, you know lazo ball is, is a phenomenal player too yeah. but Lamelo ball would have carried that totem you know that toe and, and i think they would have done a lot better from a uh, branding standpoint had they went through the sun yeah i, I mean you meant and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Lamelo and lavar and how he basically prepped him because a lot i mean so many people and, and still to this day they bash lavar on how he handled that whole thing but i liked it i completely liked it and for, for the for the for him to build the brand and his brand be as big as a duke or a, like to have a million fall like you know this this stuff type this type of stuff matters and I think the NCAA, they have, they just have to do a better job all around. 
in how they look at certain things through a certain lens. And they got to get out of this old stamp, this nostalgic standpoint. Yeah. And adjust yeah. with the times. So I think, so I think what they do is, and you know, and I and I say this, you know, lightly. Um, it, what they do is institutions. You know, they want these kids who come from, you know, backgrounds that you know aren't really doing too well, right? So right. Calipari kind of spoke on why he does the one and done treatment, and if you know anything about why he does the one and done, you know that he gets guys whose families are pretty much poor. Um, these guys are freak athletes, you know, very abnormal, very, um, you know, freak like, and he takes them and puts them in situations where they can provide for their families. If every institution, you know, took that type of approach and the kids and the athletes that they want to get and literally had it made up in their mind that, yeah, when this kid comes here, I'm going to do everything in my power to get him to a point where he can take care of his family there would be no complaint about going to college basketball. The reason why is because there would be families who would be compensated for um, their kids coming there, mm -hmm. for their kids bringing money to the institution, for their kids bring selling jerseys and things like that. You know, I, I, I can tell you firsthand, you know, I've seen a lot of people with a number four jersey. <laughs> not My name was not on one of them, you know what I'm saying? But right. they bought them. They bought them, you know what I'm saying? So right. for me... I didn't, I wasn't compensated for that. You know, I didn't get no money from that. I didn't receive anything, you know, right. for going there for having fans or for bringing people to games and, you know, stuff like that. Like, you know, which is very important because, you know, even Otto Porter at the time, you know, Otto Porter had DC on lock, you know what I mean? And, mm -hmm. I, and I tell people this all the time. I said, you know, the difference at that time and the reason why we were so, um, you know, appreciated was because you know the Wizards weren't doing that well. Yeah, the Capitals were the, the Capitals were okay, but they weren't. You know, mm -mm. you can't. You know, hockey is not a big. Uh, and I'm being honest. I love hockey. I love you know all sports that uh, you know any type of competitive sport. But they weren't a big enough brand. You know that. You know, even as a college athlete, we were a lot bigger and a lot. We just had a right. lot more notoriety. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Especially with us being a top five team in the country at that time. So, you know, anywhere we go, walk around to, go shop, anything. People are taking pictures, people buying jerseys, people sending us stuff through the mail. And, you know, me and Otto, we both come from, um, you know, kind of similar, like, areas. For one, he's from St. Louis, like, area. And I'm from Indianapolis, both Midwest kids. Midwest. Both mm -hmm. deal with the same type of, yeah, same type of, you know, structure and stuff like that. So um, we kind of already knew what was going on, and, and, and our relationship was kind of, you know, it was tight. Um, so we spent a lot of time together and developing like, you know, that brand and, you know, connecting with people, but you know, we weren't compensated from that. You know what I'm saying? His compensation came from when he got to the league, obviously, you know, and what I did after, you know, after college as well. So, you know, they're, they're, they're going to have some, uh, some, some things that they're going to have to structure a little bit differently to keep these guys coming, you know, coming to college for sure. Right. And you mentioned like jerseys, your, your Jersey number. But wasn't compensated. And I just think about um, the Fab Five at Michigan. And they, they, got, they, they, were, they were cultural icons, not a single dime. And then we all know what happens after, you know, the comp, you know. But so, and you, and you, so we talked about Georgetown and all this good stuff. And just tell me about 
the mute your music because you 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 enter into a new lane. The yeah. music, the your music career. Uh, I know you got a you got a couple projects out, couple singles out. Um, I'm a, I'm gonna lead the links to those so y'all can go download and stream those. Tell me, like, what like what led you to the music? <clears throat> um, I, I would say, man, I, I always was um you know very interested in it. I mean, my you know a lot of people have a playlist before they games, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and for me, my playlist was never the same. Mm-hmm. The reason why I was never like that is because my interests were always you know, different, like, Mm. I like different sounds, I like different creative, uh, you know, energies and stuff like that, and, um, you know, I would, I would be in the studio, I would say the first time I went to the studio, like, officially, like, to record or to, like, listen or do anything was, uh, I was with Jabril Trowick, and, um, you know, who's my former teammate, he's from Philly, but he was really, like, rapping, like, he was really going hard and, like, doing that stuff, and me at the time, you know, I'm just, like, We didn't lose him. Hold up. He's still here. We having some technical difficulty. Okay, there you go. Go ahead. All good? Yeah, you good. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, no, I was just saying how, uh, you know, my former teammate, Jabril Trywick, um, you know, that was like my first time in the studio and just hearing him record and like, you know, some of the things that he was doing, um, you know, it kind of like inspired me to, you know, do it because, I, you know, I, had, I was always a creative writer. Um, you know, I would talk to some of my professors at Georgetown and they just were always like, you know, you seem a lot more intellectual when you write things down um, because you don't talk a lot. You know what I'm saying? When you're just when you're around people and, I, you know, that is kind of like, you know, me to a T. Like, you know, I'll, I'll communicate. I'm a, you know, I'm a great open communicator if, if someone's talking to me um, or if someone asks me a question. But no, I'm not, you know, just going to be outspoken just because um, right. for one and then. You know, I think that was kind of like what started my creative process and starting to like really dive into creating music. Um, you know, after basketball and stuff like that, I got I had a lot of time to sit down, so I started writing uh, like some books. I started getting into some you know poetry stuff like that. But then you know, once I started hearing like songs and cadences and tracks, and you know, once I was getting a full layout, and you know, I met a couple people, uh, gratefully, you know, producers and engineers and stuff like that. And they were like, man, yeah, like, you know, if you don't do it, then, you know, it, it's a problem. <laughs> right. Know, I ran with it. That's what's up. And like I said, I'm going yeah. to I'm gonna leave the links in the description for the, uh, under this episode. I'm going to leave the links to all the all his music, all of this. You know, you guys can go stream that, go get that. Um, it's out on all the platforms and so forth. Now, so um, tell us about your professional playing career a little bit. And then we'll get into like the NBA because if you guys don't know me and um me and the me and DSR we get into it about uh the goat the goat talk with LeBron and MJ and so forth. But tell us about your playing career. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, you oh. kind of cut out. You you saying tell, you said tell you about my playing career. Your your pro, your professional like your pro you know your professional career, professional playing career. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I had a, I had a, uh, you know, as far as basketball, you know, I had a very unique situation, um, you know, coming, well, I would say there's some guys obviously, you know, who have dealt with similar things and, you know, uh, it was, you know, kind of unfortunate, but basically when I came out of college, um, you know, wasn't drafted, um, didn't, I, you know, I decided with a, I went with an agent that I wasn't really familiar with. So, mm-hmm. 
um, you know, I wasn't really put in positions where, you know, I thought I could be as successful as I would have, you know, with opportunities and stuff like that. Right. Um, so, you know, it was kind of like a betting on myself type of thing. I did a lot of put in a lot of work. I moved to Houston um, for about five months, five to eight months trained, um, you know, just really dedicated myself to the game. Um, I ended up switching agents, you know, before even this was like during summer league, uh, so I wasn't able to play in summer league, uh, you know, and I was kind of like upset. I was, you know, I thought I was just out of it basically. Um, so league rolls by, I'm like, man, you know, I'm, I'm for sure going overseas. Uh, you know, I'm going to have to, whatever. So, you know, and I'm like, all right, I'm cool with that. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, you know, but I know there's been teams in the gym to see me, you know, my whole junior year, my senior year, both years, um, you know, I probably had at least 10 to 15 teams that came to see me, uh, play and, and were in practices and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I just thought it was kind of crazy, you know. So, again, you know, I took the I think I took the right route. I switched agents, and I would say two days later, I uh, signed on to a training camp deal. Mm-hmm. Um, was already signed to, like, a 10-day, uh, like, type of, you know, situation or whatever. So then um, after that, uh, after that, I was in – I had to go to Chicago. We got ready for training camp. Um, kind of went through that process, man. And, you know, I kind of, I did my thing, obviously, you know, when I was there, mm-hmm. um, you know, we made a lot of trades. We ended up getting Dwayne Wade. We got Rondo. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had Isaiah Cannon at that time. Spencer Dinwiddie had got traded to the team. Um, Jeremy Grant was there. Jaron Grant was there. So, you know, we kind of looked up in my position of that combo guard slash, you know, whatever. And yeah. So, you know, for me, it was just like, you know, I think the one thing that separated separated me from them was the you know just my ability to shoot. Um, you yeah. know I can I can play make and all that other stuff too, but you know you know Rondo's going to be there, you know D Wade's going to be there, so they need guys that can fill those spaces of shooting and stuff like that. Um, you know I thought it um, the scenario you know made perfect sense that I really had a true chance to you know get an opportunity to play stuff like that. But you know the coaches I don't think they're in the process of like giving guys opportunity they were kind of trying to win right then and now you mm. know d wade is on his like his last leg rondo right. kind of on his last leg in their eyes um you know and, and jimmy butler's still there you know what i mean mm-hmm. Todd gibson is still there um uh uh uh, uh what's uh nicola uh Miritich is still there mm-hmm. uh you know and, and yeah just just their cor- kind of like their corner pieces of guys, you know who have been returning and stuff like that and so um you know it's Real challenge. Uh, I would say, you know, I really played well in training camp. Like I said, uh, exhibition games didn't really get any opportunity. So when we go and practice, like I would just turn it up a notch, and I, you know, I really start to like get after guys and stuff like that. Right. Um, and you know, I just, you know, I, you know me, man. I'm a competitor. I took a For lot sure. of that stuff is very disrespectful and yeah. you know whatever. So it made me play, and then uh, started dealing with some injuries, man. You know, I had a lower back injury. Um, mm-hmm. My knee, you know, knee was bothering me a little bit. And, you know, for the people that don't know, you know, I already had had four knee surgeries before that had even hit. And this is my mm-hmm. first year out of college. So, you know, nobody's aware of this at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, I had two, uh, you know, scopes on my right knee, two on my left knee. So, you know, I'm not – I wasn't a, uh, you know – LeBron James as far as like the health and wealth of my body you know right. what I'm saying which was unfortunate you know what I'm saying yeah but a very just a very unfortunate you know a very unlikely situation um you know I don't wish that type of stuff 
on anybody, you know what I mean? Because your body is kind of like your, I mean, that is your tool, you know what I mean? In yeah. order to be successful in a game like that. And so, um, yeah, that stuff just kind of trickled on, man, and it, and it, and it kind of prolonged, and my body just kind of wore into it. So, you know, I played, um, like I said, I was uh, in training camp, had a little, uh, you know, a little stand or whatever uh, in Chicago, went to the G League, uh, I played a few games in the G League, you know, still trying to recover recuperate with my body and like fully get healthy which I felt like you know we didn't take enough time to um mm. you know get healthy I think it was more of a push to get back out there push to get back out there and I'm just like you know that wasn't responsible you know with what my body needed at the time right um so you put me in a lot of uh bad situations uh left from the G League you know, they, they didn't have the rights to my contract anymore, uh, and I can make more going overseas. You know, right. at that time, you know, I'd had a son, family, all that stuff. So I went overseas, went to Greece, played, um, you know, played uh, for, you know, a couple months or whatever. And then, you know, that was that was solid. But, you know, when I came back home, you know, I'm, I'm a very... Uh, critical thinker you know what i mean my son i want i want to be able to allow my son to grow older and me be able to help him and be able to show him how to do things rather than you know walking around with limping around and right. you know gimping around and not be able to actually get out there and teach him how to do some things you know so that was a big decision in me you know dropping the basketball as far as like my my well-being you know what i'm saying like yes. it did a lot to me mentally it did a lot to me uh you know in, in my fresh prison you know the way that i've had a perspective and looking at things um and it was just yeah it was kind of wearing on me man so then after that you know i primarily focused on training, like training in basketball um i traveled a lot and then obviously you know at, at some point you know throughout those couple of years i started to pick up you know music and stuff man and then yep. from there i was like yeah music has clearly you know kind of taken over a lot of that just considering you know the type of work that i've put in and you know the production that i'm getting now like the music is is you know pretty much undeniable if you ask me right and it, it wasn't like a talent thing it wasn't like i was you just wasn't ta no when you get to that point it's not about like ta like you need a lot to go in your favor. Everybody's talented. I mean to eat to reach that point. So um, thank you. So thank you for getting into that because I I want my younger listeners to grasp that. I'm I'm glad. I'm glad that I I was able to bring you on and talk about that. Yeah man, yeah no. Nah, I mean, it's 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 always you know blessings in the sky. Mm -hmm. That's how I look at it. I mean, you know, for 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 that, uh, you know, I'm grateful. Like, you know, never, I never question my ability. You know what I mean? Like, even now, you know, there's people who have known me for my whole life or watched me play and stuff like that that you know always feel the urge to challenge me and stuff like that. But <laughs> you know, my 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 tools don't go anywhere. You know what I'm saying? God has blessed me with an ability. You know what I mean? So anytime I need to step out there and show somebody what I can do, I still can, you know what I mean? That's not 82 games, you know what I mean? Right. That's the only, you know what I mean? That's the only difference. Like, yeah, if I go play a game today, I'll be perfectly fine. It's just, you know, in 82 games or is a long season, uh, you know what I'm saying? A playoff series is very long, you know what I mean? And so you got to, you got to consider those things. You know, they pay they pay these guys a lot of money and, and health and to stay healthy is a part of that process. You know, the, to keep their bodies, it's, it's a machine. You know what I mean? So, you know, how many, I know you know a lot of guys that you can name that, you know, people have written them off or people don't even acknowledge it, but 
they they at one point they were one of the best players in the league, but they get hurt and mm-hmm. people act like they never or never did anything. You know, Derrick Rose is a prime example. Prime example. That, you know, a guy who's walking. You know, he has the world in his hands, and look what happens based on an injury. Isaiah Thomas, same thing. You know what I mean? Mm. Like he has Boston locked down, which is a hard thing to do. You know what I'm saying? Considering how historic that franchise is. You know right. what I mean? So I, I look at those things. Um, you know, and people. People realize it until, you know, it may happen to you or until you're up close and personal. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And for me, it was an up close and personal situation. So I'm really just like, anytime somebody brings up, you know, a Derrick Rose or something like that, I'm like, man, you guys have no idea how crazy he had to be in order for that to be the reason why he's not the best player in the league or why he's not one of the best, you know, one of the best players in the league or MVP player. Like, you know, that, like, I, I give him a lot of respect and a lot of kudos for that. You know what I mean? So, um, you just got to love the game, man. You got to respect it and treat it, treat it, you know, treat it with, with everything that it's worth. So, yeah, I, you mentioned the 82 game grind. That, that travel, people don't understand that traveling, and it's gotten better now because, like, technology has gotten better and our planes have yeah, gotten better. Yeah. But, Imagine how they traveled in the 70s and the eight, like they were flying commercial with other people. So, like that 82 grind night, that 82 game grind, um, traveling from across the country from Portland. Could you trap? Could you imagine traveling from Portland to Miami to Miami to New York? Like, that's that's crazy. Now, and this is where I give a lot, I give LeBron a lot of kudos because he's never had like. He had that one significant injury a couple years back, his first year with the Lakers. But before that, LeBron has never faced, has never been faced or hit with a, a bad injury. So I do give him a lot of kudos to that. But speaking of your man, LeBron, and I don't know why people think I hate LeBron. I, I love LeBron. LeBron is my favorite player. But I tell, I tell DS, DSR this all the time. Michael Jordan is the GOAT. And there's no if, ands, or buts about it. Now, I do think LeBron, his LeBron, his ink is not one thing about Michael. Michael Jordan's ink is dry. LeBron still have years, and he still has a lot to. Well, not a lot to do, but he still can do things to to change my mind. Now, I know DSR DSR gonna get y'all to run around a while. LeBron is the goat. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I, I could, I mean, I could give you, you know, many reasons why. You know, I'm a firm believer that LeBron James is the greatest player of all time. You know, we, we've, uh, we've uh, had these discussions off air, you know, and live, and you know, plenty of plenty of places. You know, for me, um, I, I think Michael Jordan elevated the game. You know, he took it to a it. He took it to a place that nobody had been able to take it at that point. Mm-hmm. I think LeBron, the second coming of taking the game to a place where I don't think I don't think the game will be ever as rich as it has been since LeBron has been able, been in the league. Um, I do think there's uh, some new faces, some young guys that have potential to you know really uh, uphold the, you know the standard or the look of the NBA and stuff like that. But you know. It's hard to say who's the next, you know, LeBron caliber or, you know, the dominant player of that, you know, that stature. Um, you know, Michael Jordan, 
and then you look at, you know, Kobe Bryant, and then you look at, you know, but I don't see anyone who you can mold them or they can be like LeBron James. I just, I, you know, I never, I, I, I haven't seen it. I think, um, you know, people tried to use Ben Simmons, but to me, Ben Simmons' offensive package is just not quite, um, you know, what LeBron James has to offer. Uh, mm-hmm. I think his playmaking ability is is good, but not as good as LeBron James. Um, I would say there's other, you know, there's other great guys that are unique like that, though. You know, Steph Curry is a guy who, you know, there won't be another one of those. You know, hey, I would say at that level, there be other guys who are good, you know, and have that similar type of style, meaning, you know, a Trey Young. Trey Young. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, guys like that. But, you know, even Trey Young, to me, is not quite the game changer of a Steph Curry. You know, yeah. not off the ball as much. Um no, you can't really play a system around him. He has to like ha- dominate the ball mostly, mm-hmm. which you know is a is a good thing. It's a great thing, you know, because he's a good decision maker. He can, you know, he can score. He can do a lot of things. But you know, I just think Steph Curry, like I said, Steph Curry, you know, evolved the game to that point. Um, Kevin Durant, you know, changed the game as well. You know, there's more guys I would say more like a Kevin Durant than there are, you know, of a LeBron James or something like that. You know. So, uh, yeah, man, I'm, I'm interested to see where the game goes. But, yeah, LeBron James, to me, is just, uh, you know, kind of like the hybrid that you do. You, you just – you probably won't see that for for some time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not mad at that. I think – and, and you're, you're right. You're totally right. Um, I don't think Le- – I don't think you can replicate LeBron, 6'8", 260, uh, freakish athlete. And, and, the one, and I must give LeBron this. Um, and, and, by the way, I don't think he's the GOAT, but I think he's the second greatest player of all time. So just, just you know. Um, but I do give LeBron this. The way how he's been able to change and adapt his game um, as the game has changed, because LeBron, was, he came into the league in 2003. 2003-2021, two different, two different eras. Two, two different eras. And the way how he adjusted his game – from um being he's and he still is but being a a dominant force inside um not really be, not particularly being a great three-point shooter but then once the game changed um Steph you know and everybody wanted to shoot these threes and Mike D'Antoni seven seconds or less and you know the way how he uses these point guards I do think LeBron I, I give him a lot of props because for him to adapt his game from being a dominant figure, a dominant force inside and driving the basketball. He's also now becoming a, a pretty good, a, a pretty good three point shooter, a pretty good three point yeah. shooter. Yeah. And his mechanics yeah. have gotten better over better over the years. Now, <clears throat> now, I, now, LeBron James, he's not the greatest player of all time. I think it's Michael Jordan. Uh, Michael Jordan. I tell I tell DS, DSR this all the time. Michael Jordan had no flaws in this game. No flaws. And I find it interesting with Kate. What is no what is no flaw? <laughs> he, he he ball handling, shooting, defense, no, no absolute flaws in his game. He can do everything. If you need him to do it, he can do everything. And LeBron LeBron can too. But LeBron, you know, the mid-range J uh is a bit shaky historically. It's a bit shaky. Um, sh- shaky, shaky win though. 
well, he struggled. Well, he struggles to hit that 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 pull up mid range jump shot, and then I would say the free throw shooting. The free throw shooting is it, it's, it, it, it's he's always been like a, a high sixties into the seventies. Jordan was was always in the eighties as far as three as far as free throw shooting. So, like I said, no flaws in Michael Jordan's game. And I do, and I always tell DSR this all the time. I tell him this. Michael Jordan, when he started winning, when you gave him an all-star caliber teammate, nobody else could win. Now, for for whatever reason, LeBron, you know, he's been dominant, but Steph Curry got three rings. Kawhi Leonard got two rings. Tim Duncan got a couple chips. These guys are getting fat like cats on LeBron's on LeBron's clock on his time. That just wasn't happening with Michael. Hakeem had to wait till Michael go to go play baseball. Right. So, so you know, when you say that, always, always look at the, always look at (laughs) you know, and and what you said. None of your statements were false, but. I always look at the cal- the caliber of the competition. Like Jordan, you know, Jordan Jordan to me you know, Jordan to me had had never played a Golden State Warriors with a Kevin Durant on top of on top of already having a team that is clearly one of the best in the league. Um I don't think he's ever played a team, you know, that was as well of a franchise as the San Antonio Spurs over the year. Um I don't think, you know, I would I would debate or I would argue uh I would debate or I would argue, uh, you know, maybe Utah at the time, but Utah, I don't think that team is nearly as, as um, I would just say they weren't as rounded as the San Antonio Spurs. You had a couple of their main guys, but they didn't have anything, you know, after the main guys, whereas San Antonio had one through, you know, just about 10, if right. you guys mean. So, uh, you know, I would say the only the only other series that I could say that you know LeBron I thought uh, kind of fumbled you know the bag was the Dallas Mavericks series and even and even with Dallas Dallas also had a Hall of Famer they also had two other Hall of Famers they also had a lot more depth as far as experience and guys who really know how to play uh, you know Miami was they were put together. But no experience, you know. Even even on that team, you know, Dwayne Wade. They had Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh, but not, you know, Dwayne Wade won, you know, with Shaquille O'Neal before, so he, he had experience. But other than that year of winning a championship with Shaq, they weren't really making the playoffs, consi- you know, consistently and mm-hmm. winning. Um, Chris Bosh had never won, uh, so you know, it's kind of just a, like I said, it's just a new look. Now, you know, you fast forward to the Lakers after LeBron gets injured that first year, but then you you see him with makeup of a team of guys who similar, you know, similar situation, but you know, guys who are still have no experience, just super talented, mm-hmm. and, you know, a little bit more fitting is the same scenario. You know what I mean? But then you get a guy like Rondo to me, Rondo on the Lakers was how Jason Kidd was for the Dallas Mavericks. You know what I mean? Like why he played significantly better based on experience and over time and stuff like that. So now, yeah, he can shoot a little bit better. Now, yeah, he can. He knows when the play is on him and stuff like that. Whereas LeBron 
had Mario Chalmers and Norris Cole <laughs> and, you know, a lot of first and second and third year guys that just like the experience wasn't there. Like they weren't ready for those type of situations. So, you know, but I, but again, LeBron didn't take over, you know what I'm saying? LeBron didn't do nothing that, you know, altered that. Like he was, you know, he, he considerably as one, as the greatest in my eyes, yeah, he should have carried them over that hump. But I, I won't let that one defining moment be the telltale of, you know, how great he was because, you know, if, if you, if you have to nitpick, if you have to break down things that they both did, you know what I'm saying? Or didn't do there or in their, in their careers, you know, Jordan got swept by, you know, teams that considerably had nobody that nobody really remembers, to be honest with you. you know <laughs> like, and that, that right there to me have to have hold some type of weight, you know, he, um, you know, if he's going to be the greatest of all time, you can't get swept. I mean, ever. Not, not at least not until the, not before the finals. You know, if you lose in the finals to a team that's significantly better than yours, I mean, I, that, that's just what it is, you know. That's just what it is. LeBron, LeBron, anytime LeBron has lost in the finals, I mean, there it's considerably, like, heavily favorited on the other team's side, you know. And, and I mean, if you're a basketball guy who watches basketball, you would you would know that. You would know when he's going to win most of the time, and you would know when it's like, all right, yeah, there's no chance. He would have to pull off – I mean, he would have to pull off the, the most – I mean, just ridiculous performance that has ever been seen to to win, you know what I'm saying, just to win, like a, a couple games, maybe not even win the series, just a couple games, you know, in, in which he has done that before. But also, you know, you know, you know numbers. You can't play ten. You can't play ten against five at the highest level and think you're gonna win. It's just, it's just not realistic, man. It's just not. It's not oh, realistic. Okay, and you mentioned I, you you love to mention Michael Jordan's competition level, and I always tell you the reason why the like people like oh my God, Michael, who was he playing against? Yeah, he made them look like that. He made them look like just wasn't on the same did level. You hear what, did you? Did you hear what Lou Williams said about that? <laughs> dropping LeBron in seventy it's in the eighties or in seven whatever? Like he would have fifteen rings. Oh, like, yeah. I mean, and, and that's just and that's just and I think that's like the I mean, imagine Bill Russell having like like guard but, skills and but, real skills behind his game. That's the type of dominance LeBron would have had because, like I said, Jordan was the first. You know, we all we have this conversation jordan was just the first drop kobe in 84 and let kobe play from there oh, he would have been the first you're saying drop, and then that, drop lebron in 84 and let him play from there he would have been the first that works both ways because i heard what kg said kg said tw the players from 20 years ago wouldn't have been able to play in this era um due to the you know the pace and the pace and how the game is played with three-point shooting being such a big part of the game. No, oh, but hold up, hold up, hold up. You Okay, but I'm, I'm looking at a guy like this. I look at a guy like Michael Jordan. If I if I could drop Michael Jordan in today's game and you give, you give, you give him the time where it's the nutrition is on his side, I got the same medicine, I get the same skills, I get the same training, and I add a three-point. And, and I, I mean, come on. If we're, it, that's, and that's what I'm saying. Okay, so no hand check? LeBron, you would have to push LeBron's career back about 10 years 
So LeBron would have to come in in 2013 or 2015 or something like that. So now LeBron comes in shooting threes. Like LeBron comes in as a shooter more. So like if he shoots now, you're saying that he's adjusting his game now. He would have already had adopted that jump shot. So therefore, now we're talking about LeBron with this shooting above 40%. We're talking about LeBron downhill as the greatest player downhill in transition. No doubt. That's no doubt. Now, 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 now it's a different game. It's a different game. We might average 35 on accident. Not not that we are, not that we're going to gun. 35? Michael Jordan would average 40 because he averaged, he averaged 30. He averaged 30 in the, in the eighties and nineties. He would average 40. These guys are, these guys are far more athletic now, bro. Far more athletic, far more. No hand check. Far more advanced as far as their their intuition in the game. If you have bad breath, they'll call a foul. Yeah, but but also he's not the only person that has that type of like movement body. Like his body is the only one that functions like that. Nowadays you have athletes like that everywhere. Of of did course. You just, did you just see, for example, you just see R.J. Hampton the other day throw down that dunk? Yeah. Position. Mm-hmm. Okay. What about what about? Uh, and these are guys that I'm not saying. And they're the best in the league. I'm just talking about the the athletic have, ability. Yeah. So now you consider, so you consider somebody like, uh, you know, back then, Jordan could go up against somebody like, a, for example, Kawhi Leonard, who at that time back then would have been like Clyde Drexler. Okay, Clyde Drexler wasn't coming back at Michael Jordan though. Whereas today, Michael Jordan would have had to guard Kawhi Leonard. Then he'd have to guard Paul George. Then he'd have to guard Kevin Durant. Then he'd have to guard LeBron. Then he'd have to guard, uh, you know, who else? I mean, uh, James Harden. Then he'd have to guard Steph Curry. Then he'd have to guard Clay Thompson. Then he'd have to guard Kobe. Then he'd have to guard, like, it's a whole different ball game because now you can't, like, you can't take some plays off. Like, guarding, guarding Bill Byron Russell is not, like, a challenge. Oh, my God. Okay. Uh, you know, guard, uh, for example, John Starks. John Starks in today's NBA is like the almost like I'm, I, and I say this with all due respect to him because at that time he was a great player. Don't get me wrong, but John Starks, as far as his skills and his size in today's game, he would not be probably a top twenty shooting guard, bro. I'm just being honest with you. He's okay. not better than guys. He's not better than Brad Bill. He's not better than a Devin Booker. He's not bad. He's not better than a, a like a Drew Holiday. He's not better than like these guys. These are and these, some of these guys are, are mid in the middle of the pack. Donovan Mitchell. They're in the middle of the pack. They're not the best of the best. Chris Middleton. They're not the best of the best, but they are guys who are elite skilled players. They shoot the ball ridiculously well. They're bigger in size and ability and athleticism and all that stuff. But John they're softer. Starks is a six-two shooting guard. But they're right? softer. I mean, I would hope that I would think Jordan would have his way with somebody like that. Yeah, but he. The, but first of all, these those guys are softer. Um, and like I said, Jordan, they're, they're softer. The, the the game is soft. The game, the game is softer yeah, now. I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just comparing it to you saying dropping Jordan in this era. I, if I'm dropping Jordan in this era, you give him the same skill training, the same, the same nutrition, and same med- you, you, yeah, that's what I'm saying. But. But you, you would have to get, you would have to, he would have, Michael Jordan would have to adapt. And he averaged 30 in the 80s and 90s with a hand check. You can, you can, put, you can hand check. Now you can't hand check. I, 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 can show you, I can show, I can show you guys not hand checking Michael Jordan. Part of the reason why he would score 48 because they weren't hand checking him. They weren't. But guarding. you could though. They were, they were. 
they were they were olaying him to the rim. They would get out the way, or they would be too. They would be scared to really pressure him like they like people say they do. Why he got beat up in the eighties? We gotta we gotta be honest. He got beat up in the eighties. They didn't allow him to get beat up in the nineties because he was becoming the face of the league. So you but, can't allow the league to beat up your guy who's the face of the league and somebody who's gonna be you know if if Michael Jordan gets injured. Y'all lose so much money in NBA, <laughs> and you know this. Y'all lose, y'all lose pretty much every billion dollar that you're gonna touch. Y'all lose that. So y'all go back to square one, and y'all have to rebuild with Hakeem Olajuwon or some big guy. You know <laughs> Again, nobody resonate with that. You know what I'm saying? The the league and the world can't resonate with a with a big center, Shaquille O'Neal, most dominant player probably ever. But the world can't resonate with somebody like that because mm-hmm. he's not normal. That's right. not normal. That's right. not something. That you can look up to and want to be <laughs> like I mean? yeah Steph Curry. to me Steph Curry has had the the Michael Jordan LeBron James Kobe Bryant impact the reason why he's had that impact is because he's so relatable he's the little guy who can always get it done regardless of how big somebody is regardless of how tough somebody might be but you know people will say like at one point he was considered the best in the world and if you know anything he, you know he's not but at the same time <laughs> he resonated with so many people that it allowed him to, you know, to be in that space and to change the game. Like, he's on that level of, you know, like, I mean, LeBron just in his physical, like, specimen, Kobe Bryant, you know what I'm saying? Somebody Mm -hmm. who had the killer mentality, stuff like that. Guys who just, you know, everybody knows who that is because he changed everything about the sport. You know what I mean? Steph Curry changed the sport. Now it's guys shooting threes that really are not shooters. You know what I mean? If they played back then... They wouldn't be shooting at the shots they take right now, but because the NBA is a certain type of way, they take them. You know what I, I mean? I, I just think about it because when I saw that when I when I saw that comment from KG, I just think about a guy like Larry Bird. Well, Larry Bird, great three point shooter, and and back in the eighties, you could only I mean Bird only shot two two three pointers a game, two three three pointers a game, and I just think, boy. If Bird was able to put up and hoist up ten and twelve three point shots a night, he won three. He won three straight MVP. Yeah. I just think about the dominance that they could have. Yeah. So I just I don't fully agree with that KG statement, but I get what you're saying. And like you said, and I and I do agree to a certain point with a certain extent with this. The average player today is he is better. The average player today is better than the average player in 1991. Like. That's that's just true. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna um I can't hold that against you. Um, but I th- I do think as far as the like the relatability factor, um, we because we always talk about like the faces of the league and the passing of the torch, and we're like you know in the '80s it was Magic Bird, not so not not so much Kareem because once again Kareem is a physical specimen seven two. I mean. Like you just can't think of being seven two and being able to shoot over your head like Kareem with the sky hook, but then you look at the transition from Magic to Larry to uh, Michael, then you got Kobe, LeBron, and then you mentioned Steph. Who do you see as the next face of the league? The next face of the league. That's a great question. Or I, I, is I the person say, even in the league? I would say, I would say, um, from my perspective, but I would say 
what the league is going to try to do is make a guy like Luka Doncic the face of the league, who I think will be the face of the league or should be the face of the league and is the most exciting and the most electrifying and the really like the guy that everyone wants to see, Ja Morant. Got to go with Ja Morant. Mm. I think I think his I think his market is the one thing that will hold him back because he is in Memphis. Mm-hmm. But if he goes to a Los Angeles, if he goes to a Boston, if he goes to a, you know, one of those markets, I think he could easily be the face of the league. I think um, you know it's hard because he is crazy tatted up. He kind of got that AI vibe to him. Yeah. You know? And and again, you know, you can't let a, a hood you know do. <laughs> the face of the NBA, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. It's hard to do that. Like, and and not and not and not to say, you know, because like I said, for me, he is. He will. I think he will very much so be the best point guard in the league. In I would give him a couple years, give yeah. him a few years. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like he he has that ability because of his shot making ability. He can get by anybody. Um, he can defend his position at a high high level. Uh, you know, he's kind of, he kind of reminds me of Kyrie sometimes, you know, just his way to shift and uh, his, his creative ability to finish. Um, I think his defense is way better because he actually, you know, gives effort on defense sometimes. Uh, trying to think who else. I think other there's some other guys who have potential. Jason Tatum is up there. Jason Tatum has the market. You know, if he wins in Boston, I think it changes a lot of uh, what his career will look like. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, he, he he would move into that, you know, he's looking like one of the greats of all time. You mm-hmm. know, if he, if he wins in Boston, if he wins in Boston, that's, what, that's all I'm saying. If he wins in Boston, he'll move into that caliber of like, okay, one, all right, you know, he's a, he'll, he'll be considered as a top, you know, hundred or something of all time, time yeah. you know, whatever, whatever you want to consider. Right. And then, you know, let him win two, you know, let him win two or three. I think he'll go down as one of the great, you know, j- just based off his resume. Cause right now he's, he's on, he's on pace. Yeah. Um, who else? Yeah. I mean, Giannis is, you know, he's already kind of hit his stride. Uh, but, you know, I don't think his game has as much room to grow. Is some of the other guys that I've named. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I mean, yeah, man, it's a lot of guys, man. <laughs> it's a lot of guys, a lot of potential. It's a lot of guys who, you know, I think could, you know, it could be somebody that I'm missing, obviously, that might take a, you know, crazy leap and, and turn into, you know, one of the best players in the league or something. You just don't really see it coming right now. But, right. Um, I think Karis LeVert has a chance to be really really, really good. Mm. I think Harris LeVert can be really, really, really good. I think he can be one of the best players in the league. Mm. Um, he can play. Yeah. He can play. Yeah, with it. With it yeah, and consider, I mean, having his team, you know what I mean? When he really gets on Indiana where he's going to have the ball, he's going to be the primary decision maker, stuff like that. Yeah, I think Harris LeVert can be a guy who his numbers will show and, you know, his abilities mm-hmm. will match it because he's a hell of a defender, too, and, you know, he, he can make some shots. He's a smart, and he's a smart, he's an intelligent player. Um, yeah, man. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of guys. It's a lot of guys. And Bede, I think, could have, you know, I think he could have taken over years ago. But but know, he's, but Embiid, he's you know, doing it now, though. That's the thing. He's doing it now. He's doing his. He's doing it now. He's, mm-hmm. doing, he's taking that step now, and and I, and I will give him that. He's taking that step now. You're right. He he is he is 
dominated and been very but, consistent at dominating right now. But we knew like, but we knew it. We but we me and you both knew he could do this. We knew, we knew. yeah, we knew. We knew. We knew. This is this is true. This is true. We knew. And I think what we were doing was we were expecting, you know, two years ago for this drive right here to happen at that moment. Whereas like, okay, let's just allow it to happen whenever it happens. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. I think we uh, what we do is have that expectation, kind of like a Brandon Ingram situation. Brandon Ingram in L.A., we were like, oh, okay, in two years, in three years, and whatever. And right. it took, what, four, you know, for him to really get to the point where he's averaging 25 a game and he's looking like, okay, he can score kind of whenever he wants to type of deal. And, mm-hmm. You know, he got his first All-Star, you know, when he was traded. So um, I think, you know, everybody just has to run their course differently. You know, I, we, we looked at Brandon Ingram how we see Jason Tatum now, you know what I'm saying? Jason Tatum in year two or three was like, okay, yeah, he's, 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 about, legit. he's about ready. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, uh, uh, you know, everybody's deal is a little bit different, man. Everybody's, you know, time comes at a different, different place. I think, um, yeah, and this is, uh, this is off of obviously, you know, face of the league at this point, but you know, the guys that I named before were guys who I think could really be at the top, you know, the top of the food chain, I would say, in their position, their, you know, as players or whatever. Uh, but I think I think there's some guys who just, are, you know, aren't on teams that necessarily give them the opportunity to show what they can really do, you mm. know what I'm saying, as a number one option or as a number, you know, whatever. Uh, I would say, uh, well, Jalen Brown has been picking up a little bit. Jalen Brown, I thought, is a guy who could – he could have a team where he is a number one or a number two. Um, I think, uh, 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 man, who was I just about to say? Oh, Kyle Kuzma. Now the reason, and, and I know a lot of people were probably <laughs> like, "Yeah, he been tripping." Blah blah blah. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not looking at him tripping. I'm looking at his situation. They're in a win now situation. Kyle Kuzma is not ready for a win now situation. Kyle Kuzma needs to be free he needs to be able to play and make mistakes he needs to keep it gaining his confidence by playing so much just like you know any player that comes in that's supposed to be a franchise changing player you know what right I mean? yeah he wasn't a lottery pick but he was a first round draft pick. he was he was the guy that the lakers decided to keep out of all the number one number two picks that they had um so you know that pressure I'm sure has mounted on him pretty intense. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And then you get a guy like LeBron, <laughs> like you have no choice. You have no choice. Yeah. So, you know what I'm saying? Like the fact that he doesn't play well, like it doesn't really surprise me because like he got hot early and the expectation was for him to stay that hot. Right. And it's he like, was supposed to be the third guy. Like you know, what I'm you, saying? you know, so, when, when, yeah, when AD yeah. and LeBron, like he's supposed to be the third guy, you know? Yeah. Basically, basically, and that's and that's tough to do. You yes. know what I'm saying? Because now you got LeBron looking at you like, yo, you know, <laughs> either you better turn this shit up or your ass is gonna get out of here too. You know right. What I mean? Just being honest, that's what's gonna happen. Right. You better turn it up or you about to get out of here too. We gonna get somebody else. So you know, I think him going to a team like Atlanta or like a young team that's like on the up and up you mm-hmm. know what i'm saying like i think he could or even like the sacramento like yeah. teams like that where he would have opportunity to just go out and be kyle Kuzma. you know what i'm saying and right. it's not going to kill you if they lose it's not going to kill you if they win but i think that develops him and molds him into a player that starts to think about okay like 
yeah, we're not winning, but like I'm learning like what's effective. I'm learning what's going to work and I'm not forcing stuff. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. then when he goes to a winning situation, now he can average 20 and it's going to be a legit, okay, he's getting it done for this winning team. Right. Uh, you know, I, like I said, it was just a tough situation for him. I thought, I thought Brandon Ingram may have handled it a little bit better mm. because Brandon Ingram had already had that experience. You know what I mean? He had already been there for a few years. And I thought, you know, like I said, Kuzma just hit that stride kind of early. And Pete, like I said, people were expecting way too much, you know, from him. And I'm like, yeah, well, you know, he's not really on the scouting report. So, of course, he's going to kill. You know what I'm <laughs> saying? Like, nobody really knows what no he tape. does. And like, yeah, you might, yeah, yeah, you might see flashes and stuff, but you're not like, ah, oh, Kyle Kuzma's going to come here and do this. You know what I mean? So then once he got on the scouting report, now it's a little bit different. It's a thinking man's game. It's not just going out there and just, you know, whatever. Like, let me just shoot this shot. Let me just shoot this shot. And that's kind of how he plays. You can tell it's the maturity in his game. Mm-hmm. He has to mature. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned, and I, I found it interesting because you mentioned, like, you mentioned, as far as, like, the face of the league, you mentioned Ja. Um, I, I Now, I must, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I really like Luka. I, I really do. I, I like yeah, the. I like, I, I like his play style. Um, he's one of the more entertaining, uh, fun, like, like one of the more entertaining players I like to watch, like outside of LeBron, cause LeBron is always on top of my list. Like Luca is right there as far as like, I want to see him play every night because he's bound, he's a triple double machine. Um, but, and I, I, I do kind of feel like they're going to, they're going to shift their way into making Luca the, the face of the league. 100%. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And, and, and I would say, you know, not that he doesn't deserve it because, you know, I, I, I give credit like the dude is a beast. Like, I think he I think he'll, you know, he'll go down as one of the greats. Of course, uh-huh. I think, um, you know, he has a natural knack for just the game in general. He's very intelligent. He understands the game at the highest level. Um, but, you know, I will say that because he's gotten to that level so early and, and already, I think John Morant has not reached that level of his potential and where he can be. Like, I think Luca is where he can be already. You know what I'm saying? Not to say that there's no room for growth. It's just like, where is the growth? It's not like going to come in his athletic ability. He already does numbers. He already can facilitate at a high level. He already can rebound at a high level. He does everything at a high level. Whereas John Morant right now is a, he's a good, he's a, I think he's a good scorer, not a great one. He's a good, good slash great facilitator, but not like leading the league in assists yet, which I think he can do. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like those things are things that I'm looking at. Like that was kind of what Derrick Rose was on. You know, Derrick Rose came in and was like, "Damn, like you, like yo, this this dude is electrified." You know what I'm saying? Yep. But he just hadn't put it all together yet. Like mm-hmm. you can see it, but he hadn't put it together yet. So then in year two, what do they do? They make the playoffs. Derrick Rose does his thing, but they lose. Like, you know what I mean? And so I'm sure that next, that third year when he came back as the MVP. MVP. You knew what time it was. You know what I'm saying? You mm-hmm. knew what time it was if Derrick Rose had arrived to the NBA. Like, and that's it. I think the same thing happens with, to be honest, I think the same thing happens with John Morant in three years. I think LeBron still is going to dominate a few of these, you know, next couple years. But I think after that, I think uh, uh, John Morant will be like, ready to take over you know what i'm saying right now yeah he still has like raw this game is raw you know what i'm saying a little bit more raw than what people see and he's still going to average 
18 this year and seven, right? Six, you know what I'm saying? Whereas, like, Luca is he's already at 25, <laughs> you know, 10 and nine or something, you know, and that, yeah. and that is uh, impressive. That is very impressive, yeah. That is very impressive, you know what I'm saying? But I don't see him, I don't see. Unless they, you know, unless their team starts to create a different look, to me, I feel like they need a couple pieces in order to be like a championship caliber team. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's not because of Luka or anything like that. But, you know, I think John Morant has, if you look at the pieces around him, I think they're going to reach that point of becoming a championship team before Mm. Dallas does. Because Porzingis, um, you know, Porzingis is nice, but he's not like prime time Porzingis. And I think he will be on the, he will be on the, the downward spiral is where Luca is going to stay where he's at. You know what I'm saying? Right. And I think with Memphis, they have John Morant, they got uh, Brandon Clark, they have Jaron Jackson. I like uh, Which, you know, yeah, and those are like your cornerstone pieces, but that's like the best case scenario because you have a you have a four slash five and another four slash five that are both makers, both, both rim protectors, mm-hmm. both long, both athletic, both like great players. And then your your point guard is a like he you know he's a savant like you can see everything that he's capable of. So now you give those three guys your big contracts or whatever, then you surround them with shot makers, you surround them with experience, and you surround them with you know D three and D type of guys. I think they very much so will make it out of the West eventually once all the top dogs are gone. Meaning like the you know LeBrons of the world, the you know the the Damian Lillards and you know, uh, Steph, all of those yeah. guys, you know what I mean? The vet, the savvy vets, yeah. you know I mean? That could, the, the savvy ones that could beat them just based off of being smarter, you know what I'm saying? Based off of being, you know, instinctively having the experience. Now, as far as the young team, I think Memphis will, like I said, once they get certain pieces in there, I think they will have a great chance to, you know, to make that push. And don't be surprised if they do get one of those wings that, you know, I brought up that might come down there and, and like I said, really – really 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 make it happen you know i would like mm. it i would love a Jalen brown down there i would love a you know somebody like that to to go and play with those guys and really show what they can do because i think you know somebody like that would would um thrive because you know they won't have to sacrifice anything for him you know what i mean they won't have to sacrifice any uh shots or ball movement or anything i think those guys the guys like that know how to play team ball but he's also he also can be your number one if you need him to Right, and you, I, I said this. I said the same thing about Luca last year because I, I, with last year, I, I did like a rank, a ranking of like the the players twenty twenty two and younger, and I had Luca at number one. I had Luca at number one. I think I had Tatum at number two or something like that. And with Luca, and that was the, and that was my question. Like he averaged thirty. He averaged twenty nine. Eight and nine last year, like, and I'm like, as a second year player, yeah, he can like. There's spots where he can work on like a three point shot, like becoming more efficient. But like his mechanics are pretty good. But I'm like, how much better can he get? Like, <laughs> I mean, how yeah, much? That's hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's hard. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to say because you, uh, you know, it's it's when you peak too early. You know, I mean, that can always be. A bad thing. Mm-hmm. Like honestly, there's no upside to peaking too early. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you can only go downwards. Like you can't go <laughs> any higher. You know what I'm saying? Right. The, the the best thing that he could do probably moving forward is maybe win an MVP. But you know, 
it's about timing. The NBA is about timing. You know what I mean? Like, so his best seasons can come right now. But as his seasons go on, there's other guys who could get to that point of where they could become MVP caliber. They could become blah, blah, blah. You know what I'm saying? It's the next best thing. Just like, you know, we talk about guys not getting MVPs, um, you know, when they should have gotten more, you know, easily mm-hmm. Michael Jordan and LeBron. Are and LeBron. Two that come to mind. Yep. Obviously. You know what I'm saying? And and between those two guys, you know, you say, man, he should have had this, should have had this. And, and look at the guys that got the MVPs over them. Look at the guys who were getting them. Yeah, because those guys – you know, not that they popped up out of nowhere, but they had a great year. Mm-hmm. They had a great, right. you know, run or whatever. And so it was a great story. When I say that, to, yeah, I say that to say, you know, a guy like a John Morant, like I said, has the opportunity to do that moving forward. Whereas Luca right now is giving you probably some of his best, like stat wise, <laughs> basketball. So you know, for him to win an MVP. His stats would have to be better than what they are right now, and their team would have to win significantly more than what they're winning right now. Right. So that those two are like those are uphill battles, you know what I'm saying? Because like he's already averaging twenty, like you said, twenty seven, twenty eight, whatever, ten ten assists, ten rebounds, or whatever. And like, yeah, okay, so you're damn near averaging a triple double, but you're a fifth seed already, and you're already considered, you know, one of the best players in the league. Whereas like John Morant's not considered one of the best. You know what I'm saying? He's considered like on the rise or coming up. Yeah. You know, a next generation type of talent. But that generation is coming. Like they're not far away. They're, <laughs> the next couple of years, these are the guys that, you know, Zion's, the, you know, you looking for these guys, LaMelo Ball. You know what I'm saying? Guys like that. I'm like, yo, they got a chance. LaMelo Ball is another one. I love LaMelo Ball. I like I it. I cannot ignore the fact that he is a great teammate like the guy he understands what is what it is to be a leader and somebody who is a culture guy he he, he he keeps the energy in a positive direction even when shit is not going well for them mm-hmm. and somebody like that is always going to win he's always going to be in a position to win he cannot get any better but he's always going to have a spot on the roster he's always going to have a spot on a on a team on a winning team because of the type of culture that he creates You've never seen him mad. You've never seen him sad. You've never seen him anything but smiling on the court and doing stuff that is productive. And you watch him make these plays for people that are not players that are there. They're not effective if he's not there. You know, P.J. Washington. Miles, Miles Bridges. Bridges. Guys like mm-hmm. that. It's like they're looking so much better because <laughs> there's, it's like the uh, Chris Paul effect when he went to L.A. With Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan. Yeah, yeah, DeAndre Jordan. All those guys like. Before Chris Paul went out there, yeah, they they had some highlights, but when Chris Paul got there, he was orchestrated. It was Lob City. A lot better than what they were. Right. Yeah, they looked a lot better than <laughs> what they were. DeAndre Jordan, after Chris Paul left, went back to normal. Blake Griffin was still nice, but he didn't have no moves. And, you know, he wasn't like a, a, a get it done himself type of guy. And you started to see it. So they weren't Lob City no more. They weren't, you know, this show that you needed to see. They weren't must see TV. So. You know, it's, it's it's some young guys, man, that, that uh, I think, uh, you know, have opportunity to really, you know, really take it to that level. For sure. Um, so I don't want to hold you much longer. Uh, I just I thank you for coming on. Uh, you gave us a lot. You gave us a lot. I know a lot of people are going to enjoy this. Um, and like any last words you want to put out there? Any final thoughts or anything? Uh, man, I just appreciate whoever tuned in, man. Again, um, 
you know, Zay's going to leave the links to the music, man, mm-hmm. that I've been putting out and stuff like that, man, which, you know, I'm heavy on now. And, you know, I'd appreciate anybody who supports, um, you know, anybody that loves basketball. Obviously, you know that our basketball is what I do. I breathe it. I love it. I'm grateful for it, you know. And, uh, yeah, man, I, I appreciate just, you know, having an opportunity to be on your podcast, man, for sure. For sure. It was um, – I, 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 I greatly appreciate it, for real, um, for you to come on and uh, give, give some knowledge and give the people, you know, a little bit of what, you know, what you did and what you're doing now um, and some of that basketball knowledge. But thank you for coming on, bro. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I appreciate you, brother. You already know. Yep, for sure. So thank you guys for tuning in. Um, DSR Devonte Smith Rivera, one of the one of one of the better dudes I know that um you know within the within the pro sport within professional professional basketball and college basketball. Like you you heard it from himself, gives you a lot. Uh, he he gives me a lot of basketball knowledge. A lot of he gives me a lot of basketball knowledge and a lot of basketball toolage. Um, so I once again I just thank him for coming on. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Once again, I'm going to leave the links in the description to the, you know, to DSR's music, um, all of the, all of his projects. I'm going to leave the link, right? It should be right below in the description. Um, so I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Always, you know, you guys already know, uh, two choices, one decision. Uh, and thank you guys for tuning in. Peace, deuces, adios.